The National Nurses Organizing Committee and National Nurses United, all at Veterans Affairs, have signed a three-year contract. It covers more than 14,000 RNs at 23 VA hospitals. Negotiations spanned nearly a decade and two administrations. For details, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke to Organizing Committee Chair Irma Westmoreland. This contract was, um, began bargaining this contract in 2015. The notice that we wanted to do it, um, we actually completed the bargaining in 27. We went to bargaining in um, late 2016. We finished in 2017. We did all the ratifications, got it ready to go to the secretary. And in 2018, the then secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie, denied 375 provisions of the contract even as illegal provisions, even though 275 of them had been in the contract since 2003. And so we did a lot of court battles back and forth, back and forth. And then bottom line is when President Biden came in, he said, let's go back to the table. Let's see if we can get some of this stuff worked out with the VA, with all of the national unions and their contracts that were hung up. And so we have been going back and forth with the VA, just trying to identify and resolve any issues that we could. And so we finally finished everything, and uh, we signed the contract uh, in Durham last week. And what has been going on since then, uh, before the agreement was signed? Uh, well, was we the... haven't stopped working. Mm-hmm. We haven't stopped working. We just um, didn't have our contract went over year from year from year from 2012. So this is 2023, and we have been working with a contract that was from 2012 until this one was signed. And although this one was signed in 2023, it was actually negotiated in 2017. And so the contract that we have now, although it's got some good new updates for us, it uh, is from 2017. And um, so we're gonna have to look forward to three years from now, renegotiating a contract that covers all the changes, like all the things that happened through COVID and all the things that came to light of all the things that people might need. but. Uh, there's a, uh, a we have about 52 articles in our contract that cover all the things from like you know how do we do how often do we do our schedules how many weeks of the schedule need to be put out like we have a, a contract that requires eight weeks of our contract to be out at a time goes down to four weeks back to eight um, so that nurses know you know what their schedule is over time you know you can't just put out a week of schedule at a time and we never know when we're going to work right and nurses get uh, registered nurses in the VA get five weeks of annual leave a year, 26 days, which is five weeks plus one day. And so we have a right to plan to use that leave, right? But um, when you have 60 nurses that work in the ICU, uh, everybody can't be off at the same time, right? Everybody can't take the same week. So we've got to have processes in place. One of the really exciting things we like about our contract is we have a thing called peer negotiation, which means that if we get together and decide how, you know, if management says, you know, five nurses can be off a week, then um, the nurses can get together and decide, I want this week, you want that week, as long as I don't go over five nurses. And they make the decision on what their leave is. And then management says, yep, that's right. And then they approve it. So that nurses have a lot of input into their schedule. We are allowed to do peer negotiation. Now, if we can't work it out, then management has to make the decision. And we have processes in place for mandatory overtime or voluntary and involuntary overtime. I see. So before this agreement had been signed, was that one of the issues that because you were going year to year, was it all on management and they were just scheduling four weeks at a time? And, um, you know, a lot oh, of nurses... no, we had we had processes in place, but okay. this does some clarifications of those and makes it a little more clear. Um, so let me just go through a couple of things that are, are new 
um, for this contract. Please um, do. <laughs> well, uh, so some of the things that are new is that we um, are still, even though there is no executive order for uh, what we call in the federal government, we have used to have a partnership and forums and those kind of things back from when we had Barack Obama as the president. Um, and so our new contract still allows for now and in, in the old contract, it, once the executive order expired or was deleted, then there was nothing that allowed us to continue with our labor forums. And so this contract does allow the you know, the facilities and the union to decide to continue their labor forum if they want to. And during the Trump era, of course, he deleted all of that, but this contract allows it so that even if we have a new contract, a new president that comes in and says, no, you can't do it, it would violate our contract language where there are union, um, you know, local local units and local facilities that have good relationships and that that want to continue those relationships in building uh, things where they uh, can deal with items without having to go to bargaining through uh, their uh, local forums, then they can do that if they want to. The other thing is it still does allow a thing called pre-decisional embalmment, which means that when management decides that they're going to want to do a change in a, a change coming up, then they would tell us and then we would have the ability to provide input into that. Again, that was done away with with Pre President Trump, but we got that back, back in this contract, which we did not have because our old contract, once the once the executive order ended, it, that was the end of it. So we we do get that opportunity. We did have clarifications on things like I told you, uh, clarification on our annual leave and that um, our old contract um, had some um, language in it that needed to be clarified that if I wanted to just take a day off, I didn't have to take a week at a time. I could just request one single day off or just, uh, you know, if I wanted a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I could do that as a request for my leave instead of taking a whole week at a time. So just doing a lot of clarifications. Um, or things like that. We did a clarification in our language that you get two weeks off in a four-week period. Our other contract had some language that did not, that was supposed to be written that way, but when we looked at it back, we came back, it wasn't clear. So now RNs get two weekends off in a four-week period if they have to work weekends. So those are, are really good language. There is, uh, I'm going over my list of what I want to tell people about contracts. I'm not meeting it, uh, forgetting anything. We have the ability to wear um, buttons and pins and and um, like if the union wants to wear a pin that says um, uh, RNs demand safe staffing in the old contract, we had to ask management's permission first. Now we don't have to do that. We can do that. We will make sure that nurses are involved in developing competencies and policies as it relates to them and the work that they do. Um, things like um, safety manuals, right? You know, the emergency, temporary emergency standard for when COVID came out, one of the things that it, it pro provided was that we would get copies of all emergency preparedness plans, right? That's gone right now. And of course, we still, we're wanting it to become a permanent standard. But in our contract now, we do get that the agency will provide us with all emergency preparedness plans. So we have copies of that even when they change it. And whenever they decide, you know, when COVID was going on, they said, oh, we're in this national emergency. We don't even have to tell you what we're doing when we're doing it. You know, they just kind of ran and 
the union whenever they wanted to, but this uh, makes sure that we get those plans so that we can, if we have an issue with them, we can do that. Understood. And uh, I'm curious about the bargaining process, just because there are so many unique needs at every VA facility. You know, how are you able to put all of those together while bargaining for the rights of the nurses who work those facilities? Well, what we did in our contract is that we did we have three levels of bargaining, local level, which is at a local facility, mid-level bargaining, which the VAs are divided into visions where like the one I'm in is vision seven and we have eight facilities there. So if there's something affecting more than one unit in the vision, we would do it at a mid-level and then national bargaining. And when we did this contract, we sent out what we call, these are issues that nurses have brought to us. Is there something else you want us to bargain on? Rank these on what's important to you. What do you want us to bargain on? What we can bargain on? And so the nurses, we did these surveys to all the nurses that are in our unit. We represent um, 23 facilities facilities across the country, over 13,000 nurses. And we took those needs that they brought back on their survey. And then that's how we developed um, the things that they, they showed us what they wanted us to change. And so that's why that was, that's how we got that. Irma Westmoreland, chair of the National Nurses Organizing Committee within the National Nurses United Veterans Affairs Sector. Speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. There's much more to the interview. Hear it in its entirety at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. Uh, I was kind of shut off from 
formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in. And she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters, who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations, but you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me, I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have 
you mentioned Horace Mann. I don't know if, if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sisulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to to go as far as you have, and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way. That's sort of I, the I way that I kind brilliant. of see all of that. You that's know? brilliant. <laughs> And um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.